Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. There are some moments when we sort of all think the same thing, and I think yesterday was one of those. By now, you sort of know, I'm sure, what we're going to begin the show with today. An Auburn offensive lineman named Brandon Council has really shot off his mouth about his group uh, against uh, Georgia coming up on Saturday. And I was kind of out of pocket for a little bit yesterday. I had some stuff I had to take care of um, and kind of away from like the, I guess, the news cycle, if you will, for lack of a better way to say this. And so I was a little late to the party on seeing what council had said. But when I saw it, I was immediately like, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing ever for Georgia. Did Kirby Smart pay this guy to say this? And uh, actually, Barry Watkins, who's one of our frequent commenters on on Facebook, kind of responded back to me on Twitter and said, no, I think the Auburn boosters paid him to say that. Because, you know, this is one of those deals where very few people take this at face value. Very few people take trash talk like this from a team like Auburn, a player that plays for Auburn, as, oh, wow, maybe Auburn's better than I thought they were. Maybe they really do have something for Georgia. Pretty much everybody kind of takes this as – Whatever the opposite of rat poison is, if rat poison is praise that's bad for you, this is kind of criticism that's good for you in the minds of a lot of people of, oh, all of a sudden now, Georgia, who's probably already motivated anyway, coming back home, playing a rival, big crowd, uh, CBS television, all of a sudden now you've got a little bit more motivation to get ready for the game coming up on Saturday. It was amazing to me, just almost almost universal that opinion was, even people that were like more like national media types and not Georgia fans. They all seem to view this as a pretty bad thing for Auburn that a dude shot off his mouth the the way that he the way that he did. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with what he said, let me uh, remind you here, and you can read the full story about this DogNation.com that uh, unearths the uh, quotes from the Auburn media folks, and then we're going to talk about what this means from a Georgia perspective. Let me uh, let me show you the first one here. This is Brandon Council, an Auburn offensive lineman. Uh, talking about his team's ability to run the football. He says, I believe just them being able to, like, their third down package, they got some interior stunts the kind of, that kind of hinders the run game. But we're going to start off fast. If you start off fast, run the ball on them, and keep them out of their third down packages. Now, listen to this. This is, this is the big line. If this were a blockbuster Hollywood movie, this would be the pull quote that kind of goes the top of the poster. He says, really, we could demolish them. I personally believe up front. Well, if, I guess if you personally believe it, then maybe, maybe it must be true. But how about a guy from place for Auburn who's a 30-point underdog in the game on Saturday saying, we could demolish them. Uh, there's, there's a guy named Justin Ferguson who covers Auburn, and he put on Twitter yesterday that Football Outsiders has just published their new offensive line stats for 2022 it takes a few weeks for them to feel comfortable publishing that because in the early stages they're you know just lots of uh you know, lots of uh, potential variants that could change week to week but by the time you get to about this point almost to the halfway point of the regular season it kind of stabilizes itself a little more and uh Justin kind of put out the numbers like Auburn's terrible like their offensive line stats are horrible as you would expect a uh you know a team that's pretty bad overall to be But nonetheless, Brandon Counts looks across the field at Georgia on Saturday and says, this looks like a team that we are able to demolish. Which you can insert your own laugh line. Everybody kind of understands that's ridiculous and a joke. He actually wasn't done. He said a little bit more, too. Let me show you one more quote from Counsel here. Then I want to kind of get into this a little bit more. He says, our goal 
is to go in there like a SWAT team, get in, quiet the noise, and then get out. Now, pardon me for noticing, but ponder just for a minute here the absurdity of this, is that his whole point here is, is oh, we're going to sneak in. They're not even going to know we're coming. We're going to sneak in there, and we're going to silence that crowd, and then we're going to sneak out before they even know what hit them. Okay, so even if for a minute that was true, let's just – you know, let's use the wildest corner of our imagination to say that what council's saying actually is true. Haven't you just ruined that by announcing it like three days before the game? I mean, like this is the absurdity of the of the comment. Like his whole thing of we're gonna sneak in there and we're they're not even gonna know what we're doing. It's sort of like if you watch like the old James Bond movies where like the uh, villain sort of like lays out every aspect of his plot while James Bond's sort of strapped to the gurney or whatever it is that he's you know uh, gonna be done to. This is like Brandon Council's sort of version of that of oh we're gonna sneak in there and we're they're not gonna know what hit them. We're gonna we're gonna get in there. We're gonna quiet the crowd and get out in fact i feel so confident about this i'm laying out every aspect of our plan right here before the game like obviously this is absurd and i think what it directly points to is the lack of leadership that a coach like brian harson has the lack of control that a guy like this has over his program because really in a lot of ways this kind of reminds me of a lot of the empty vapid meaningless trash talk that's come out of like a florida program in recent years whether it's brenton cox now or chauncey gardner years ago there's this big boastful talk that really in no way is connected to reality whatsoever that 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 guys don't feel a not only are they not afraid to say it now they actually don't even feel any pressure to back it up it's something they're almost sort of just doing for the sport for the fun of it and when it, with with council saying this right here it does kind of tie back to what the uh, Georgia fans said to me on social media of hey this is exactly what the Auburn boosters probably want cuz they hate Harson they want him gone sooner rather than later this just becomes more evidence that that this is a guy that that doesn't have any real control over this program. His players really haven't quit on him yet, but you could see, I believe, a very high quit factor on Saturday in this game because the brightest fires burn out the quickest. Maybe they do think they're going to come in here and run the ball on George on first and second down. And Auburn doesn't have bad running backs. Tank Bigby's a guy that you know well. He's not the only one they have. Um, you know, maybe they do feel like they're going to come here early downs, early game, establish something on the ground, try to stay out of third down against Georgia. But the moment that proves incapable of happening, all of a sudden the quit that Auburn hasn't shown yet, maybe they do show now. I think it's worth considering for those of you trying to fi find out and figure out if you want to lay a big 30-point spread in a game like this, that this may be one of those places in which Auburn's looking for sort of a soft spot to land. We'll have to see about that. But what most of you are more interested in is what the Georgia response to all this ends up being. How does Georgia handle all of this? And I think you already know, and as it just so happens, Kirby Smart talked about that a little bit this week. You know, there was a little bit of a dust-up at the beginning of the game last week between Georgia and Missouri, and, you know, eyewitnesses who were on the scene there said maybe Georgia had a little bit of a hand and kind of how some of that got started which is sort of out of, out of character for Georgia I think overall if that is indeed truly the way that all of that went down but either way Kirby Smart reiterated this week during one of his press conferences unrelated to this because it hadn't happened yet but Kirby Smart reiterated the mindset that he wants to see his team approach every game with when it comes to trash talk and big boasting and bragging and all that kind of stuff no matter what you get from the other side this is what Kirby Smart said on on a similar topic earlier earlier this week we play with our helmets and uh, we don't talk to the other team and you know disappointed in any player that would talk to somebody on the other team and we don't condone it so uh, something that we get to get fixed and you know some teams you play do that more than others and some teams are you know are from the same 
line of thinking as yourself. So listen, I think that's exactly what Kirby Smart has said. I remember the first time I heard him use that phrase of talk with your helmets. It does go back to that Florida game in 2017. Remember all the stuff that said there, but all Jake Fromm does is throw slant passes and, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that got said. I mean, there have actually been a few instances over the course of the years where a Florida team that had no business saying anything to Georgia, talking any trash whatsoever to Georgia, ran their mouth, shot you know, shot off their mouth before the beginning of the game and obviously got embarrassed for having done so. There are other examples of that with other teams there too where, you know, uh, you know, Georgia was just content, as Smart said, there to do talking with their helmets. And so that's going to be part of the game on Saturday where, hey, Georgia's going to have to be the more mature team. Pretty clearly, if a guy like Brandon Council's not, not you know, if he's saying what he's saying, this is obviously an Auburn team right now that's pretty immature. This is obviously an Auburn team right now that's a little bit of a rudderless shit. They don't have quite the same level of leadership that would prevent these kinds of things from happening. So on Saturday, Georgia's got a responsibility to be the more mature team. Did they do that on Saturday against Missouri? Maybe different people have you know different opinions on that, but the responsibility exists on Saturday to be that. We're actually going to probably talk more about kind of the maturity aspect of uh, Georgia maybe a little bit tomorrow. But there's another side of this coin where I think just flat out old school, man, Georgia just ought to embrace this. Georgia ought to use this as a chance to have the kind of emotional reboot you sort of need halfway through a season. Not special circumstances for Georgia because they're somehow in this unique category, but the season is a grind. You get tired. I mean, some of you that just travel from week to week to the games, you even get tired just doing that. You know, to say nothing of the players who are practicing so hard each and every day, playing so hard each and every day, you know, getting the best shot of every team you play because you are the reigning national champions. Not making an excuse. That's just kind of part of it. That that for every team at this point in the year, when you kind of get moving from September into October after Saturday, you'll be halfway done with the regular season. There was a point in which Man, the grind just sort of gets to you. You have to kind of refocus and recenter your motivation. You have to sort of reboot the energy here a little bit. So use your home crowd on Saturday to do that. Use the fact that this you know loud mouth from Auburn has shut off his mouth. And just old-fashioned, roll up your sleeves, as we used to say in pro wrestling in the 80s, just get ready for a Pier 6 brawl and get ready to come out here and fight on Saturday. And I think that Georgia's actually ready to embrace that. I think that Georgia actually likes doing that kind of thing. And on Saturday, I think they embraced that. So for me, it's kind of two sides of the same coin, that Saturday's game provides Georgia an opportunity. On the one hand, it provides the opportunity to prove that you're more mature than what clearly Auburn's bringing to the table right now. And on the other hand, it's an invitation to a fight. And for a Georgia team that's been in kind of every kind of game you can be in thus far, a good old-fashioned fight against a hated rival, that sounds like a pretty good thing to do this weekend. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether and Tharp. I'm glad to have you with us, whether it's video. We start at 945 on our first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, we're on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. We're available as a podcast wherever you find them, the Apple Play, Spotify, all kinds of uh, platforms for you to be on with us. We're just really happy to have you with us and uh, a part of that here today and of course big thanks to our friends at uh merriweather and tharp for making it all possible uh your source for georgia divorce and listen divorce is a, tri- a tricky topic for some of you it brings up bad memories you've been through one for others of you it produces anxiety because you fear in the future you might be going through one and it's one of those things where i'm sure you've probably tried to do everything you can to avoid that because that's everyone's instinct is to find a way to fix things before it gets to that point but here's what we all know that sometimes life just deals as a hand that's unpleasant. Sometimes life just deals as a hand that we wish was uh, different than it actually is. And 
when that's your reality, the only choice is to confront that reality. And that means confronting it with a strong advocate by your side, because this is about the law. And it's about leveraging the law to your benefit, understanding the intricacies of the law, but also understanding the ways in which that certain things can be interpreted that could be to your advantage. Because the goal here is to set yourself up for a happier next season of life than the one you're currently in. And that's what our friends at Meriwether and Tharp can do for you. So I want you to reach out and find them online, theatlantadivorceteam.com, theatlantadivorceteam.com. When you do that, first thing you're going to see, a bunch of free resources that educate you enough to ask really good questions when you have that free initial consultation with one of their attorneys. And then after that, you can make the decision to hire Meriwether and Tharp, to walk with you, hear your story, and put yourself together for a great tomorrow. That is what Meriwether and Tharp can do for you. Or you, do for you. They are your source for Georgia divorce. So find them online at the Atlanta Divorce Team dot com. All right, we're gonna get Terrence Edwards here in just a moment. Before that, though, I want to go around the doghouse presented today by our friends at Serve Pro, and I want to talk about something here for a moment. Uh, a player that's been a hot topic, but also a really interesting piece of audio from Kirby Smart and. We all know this, that there are times in which Kirby Smart does not want to be with the media. And frankly, if he had his, I guess, choice, he may never want to do that. But there are clearly times he has asked questions he just doesn't want to answer. And, you know, when it comes to like giving away strategy or things like that, I guess it's his prerogative to, you know, be as forthcoming or not as forthcoming as he wants to be. But there are some moments in which Kirby really does kind of reveal some details and he's a little bit more open than maybe sometimes you expect him to be. I sort of thought we got an example of this on Tuesday night when it comes to Darnell Washington. We've talked about Darnell on the show this week. You know, I kind of got into the Darnell topic when I was on with Randy McMichael on, uh, that's a great former Georgia tight end, on 92.9 The Game in Atlanta here this week. The thing I'm just sort of curious about is, you know, I think that pretty clearly Darnell's having a good season. I think that pretty clearly Darnell is a big part of the story for Georgia. I don't think anybody would could, could question that just based on all the circumstantial evidence that Darnell Washington is a key cog for Georgia. And there are some fans who say, because he's so important for Georgia, I want to see him rewarded with more touches. Clearly, this is a guy that could have played a lot of different positions and maybe over the course of his life as a football player. A lot of folks told him, well, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do this. And Darnell wanted to play the offensive position. He's a very big guy, could have been a hundred million dollar offensive lineman or maybe a you know defensive end or something along those lines but he wanted to be a tight end because he wanted to touch the football and so there are a lot of Georgia fans who say given the fact that Darnell has worked so hard that he's such a great blocker that he's such a pivotal part of this Georgia offense given all those things being true why not reward him with some more touches specifically in the red zone because Georgia needs to fix its red zone woes this could create more touchdowns for him which would just be kind of fun to see because people like Darnell Washington and so Kirby Smart was asked this week, how come that doesn't happen more? And I thought that Smart actually went into some pretty good detail. Whether you're satisfied with the answer or not, you can't say that Smart doesn't answer the question. This is Kirby from earlier this week on what's going on with Darnell Washington specifically around the red zone. Here's Kirby. Yeah, we've called several plays uh, in those situations for him, and, and uh, some of them are based on the look, and some of them are based on the protection. You know, there's there's plays built for – a guy to be a red zone target, he certainly is that. But um, if you miss a protection or you miss a guy or they play a certain coverage, you got to go somewhere else. You know, there's there's doubles on guys in the interior. You know, there was one of the calls was to him on the, the play that Brock made against South Carolina. But the look they gave us dictated uh, to go to Brock. And um, there's been several like that. But he's certainly a, uh, a weapon that we have to use. So, listen, 
That's Kirby Smart, first of all, totally acknowledging the premise that everyone feels like they see. Hey, Darnell's a weapon. How do you use him? Smart says that's indeed the case. Smart also suggesting there are moments in which they've actually tried to get the ball to him. Maybe, you know, as Kirby even said it, called the play for him. And yet you sort of read into that the uh, context of Smart's answer there that, hey, maybe he's double teamed. Maybe there's just too much, you know, too many bodies right there around him. We've said that before. That's where the red zone gets tough is because you shrink the field. There's less green grass. It's more bodies in a controlled area. And maybe being aware of the big target like Darnell Wash, almost like double teaming a guy down the low block when you're playing basketball, that almost becomes more of it. And that forces the ball to somewhere else. And as Kirby said in the South Carolina game, it becomes a great play for a guy like Brock Bauer. So that's a little bit of interesting insight into what's going on with Washington and an acknowledgement from smart apparently they're going to keep trying to get the ball to him in that regard so let's watch that let's watch it on saturday when georgia gets down uh in the red zone let's just keep our eyes on washington and see what's happening around him is he being double teamed are they running a bunch of bodies in his direction you know is he is he more open should you try to force the ball to him more because he does have the ability to win those one-on-one battles i think that's a conversation that's all worth having and i won't pretend to know the answers necessarily but it's just it's a source of curiosity but you certainly hear smart acknowledging the premise of yeah uh, this is a guy we want to get the football to but here's the other thing though i don't think any of us even someone like me who legitimately would like to see a guy like darnell get more touches especially at a time in which the offense could use a boost it seems like washington's capable of doing it now you hear me say all the time brock bowers is the guy they need to be throwing it to the most but that doesn't mean you can't also throw it to darnell more i believe they probably should however i don't think that any of us should get so fixated with that that we lose sight of what a success story Darnell Washington is for Georgia right now. This is a guy that by almost anybody's estimation who's close enough to the program to have a respected opinion on this, Darnell had a tremendous offseason for Georgia, laser-focused on being the very best player he can be for this football team. And he's really kind of emerging as not just a leader by example, but an actual vocal leader for this Georgia team you know last night after practice yesterday evening uh, Darnell was one of the players that spoke to the media again Darnell's done that a few times this year this is a guy that previous to this year I think would be considered pretty soft-spoken not really all that loud and vocal necessarily about Georgia football that's the way I've experienced him and yet pretty clearly he's been tapped more than once to speak to reporters here this year and he talked a little bit yesterday about his message to the team and his feeling about the team overcoming the adversity uh, against Missouri to find a way to win that game, game closer than it should have been, yet Georgia still found a way to win. Y'all, let's don't lose sight of what Darnell is providing Georgia as we also spend some time trying to figure out how you get him more touches because this is the story, I believe, of a leader emerging and the people closest to the team are very well aware of this. This is Darnell from yesterday. I mean, we're not quitters. You know, most teams, they get down two or three possessions and they'll just be like, Man, we lost, like, you know, ain't no way. But, you know, I look at the defensive guys in their eyes before they went out took the field, you know, made a good, great stops and just held them to a field goal, held on three points, and I was just like, I mean, we got dogs. Don't you love that? I mean, talking about his teammates, talking about his faith and his belief in them in the same press conference, another point he kind of talked about being one of the guys that spoke up at halftime challenging them in a minute we're going to talk to Terrence Edwards and Terrence has told the story before of what John Stinchcomb did Georgia Auburn 2002 how that propelled Georgia sometimes it is that message from that player like right there before you go back on the field that makes all the difference in the world way heavier words that land with a much bigger punch than anything that a coach might say players have the chance to provide that 
And all of a sudden, Darnell's one of the guys that's doing that. And yeah, I'd love to see him rewarded with more touches. I think maybe over the course of this season, that might actually happen. But while that's in the process of taking place, notice the other process that's going on here. Georgia needs big time leaders. And when you had so many key leaders off last year's team, they're not here anymore. Leaders emerging is a part of the story of this year. Y'all, it sounds like Darnell Washington right now is one of those. That's a really cool evolution for a player that we've always, all, for the most part, been completely fascinated with. That aspect of his game really seems to be rounding into form. That is Around the Doghouse, and it is presented today by our friends at ServPro. And you've heard me talk about ServPro before, and a lot of you know we've actually used ServPro right here where I'm sitting right now. On the other side of the wall where I am is the office where we work, and this is what it looked like a few weeks ago, completely ravaged by some, I guess, broken water pipes. I guess what it was. Uh, Water was just running and flowing everywhere. I had the potential of ruining everything. But if you walk around there right now, I eat my lunch uh, in this area every day and uh, you know, meet with people every day, and it looks beautiful. It's right back to the way that it always was. It's uh, exactly like ServPro said that it would be, uh, put back together like it never even happened. All of those big you know, pieces of equipment that are you know, kind of, I guess, sort of getting the moisture out of the air and things like that, they're all gone now. Our workspace looks great, and it's simply thanks to ServPro. And they can do the same thing for you if you get your own water damage in your house or your business or your commercial property, whatever you might have. Or uh, if you have fire damage, that's a very serious thing there, too. And yet so much of this can be restored and put back together, fixed, cleaned up. Uh, the restoration specialists at ServPro, that's what they're experts in. They can get it back for you like it never even happened. When you reach out and talk to someone from ServPro, just know you're also talking to someone who is a part of a franchise that's individually owned and operated, which means that when you do business with ServPro, you're doing business with folks that have a stake in the outcome just like you do. This isn't some you know giant conglomerate that you know doesn't know you're alive. No, these are people that want to serve you uh, because serving you and doing right by you is what enables them to thrive as a business there as well. It's one of the reasons why I love recommending ServPro. So my invitation is to check them out online today, servepro.com. That's servepro.com, S-E-R-V, servepro.com. You can check them out for more on that. Speaking of Terrence Edwards, we're going to check him out for uh, more here in a minute too. Obviously a big part of our Dog Nation postgame show. A guy who's been a good friend of ours here on Dog Nation Daily for a long time. I'm going to ask him more about the Darnell Washington part of this, in addition to the leadership, which I do think that Darnell should be celebrated for. What about the mechanism by how you get the football to a guy like that? Let's talk to a guy that's been catching passes uh, for a long time. Also, more on George Auburn, how you respond to the trash talk, how you get focused on Saturday's game. Let's just put it all on the table right now. It is a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with Terrence Edwards right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com Insider. Let's say hello to Terrence Edwards, Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with him. And uh, Terrence, always appreciate your time and glad to have you as part of the show. And, you know, there are just some things about football that I'll just admit I just don't know. And when it comes to the Darnell Washington thing, uh, now we just celebrate him for his leadership, and I think that's a really important thing to do. I, I think that he's been incredibly valuable for Georgia both on the field and also his presence in the locker room seems like that's becoming a, a pretty big factor here there as well but there are a lot of Georgia fans who say and I think this is a valid point Kirby Smart also seems to agree with this too that because he is working so hard because he is doing so much because Georgia could use as much of an offensive spark as you can possibly get you got to feed him the football a little bit more so Terrence what is the process like of that where it seems like you know, there's about a two or three catch ceiling for him. He's a different kind of player. You know, what is the process by which you would, if you chose to, 
just get the ball to a guy like Darnell Washington more frequently. How would that happen? It's just up to the offensive coordinator. It's up to the, the game plan process of trying to figure out ways to best fit his skill set and just being able to put him in position to throw him the ball more. We all know and believe that Brock Bowers is the number one guy offensively. He's the best player, probably the best player in the country. But you scheme and find ways to get him the football and deserve it. So you can also do the exact same thing to Darnell. Darnell is a mixed match in a different way than Brock. Brock is just ultra fast and just bigger, fast, and stronger than the guys that he's going against. Darnell is just bigger and just yeah. more talented than everyone he's going against. And he has natural hands. He catches everything that comes his way. It's just up to the offensive coordinator and the offensive staff to put more emphasis on trying to single him out and find ways to get him the football. Uh, you know, I, I, would, I, I wish I could sit here and say what's the magical, you know, potion to do it. It's just, okay, we want, we want to get Darnell the ball. Let's find ways to get him the ball because he deserves more because he's doing all the little things that allows him to – I mean, he's happy. You can see how joyful he is yeah. doing the little things. But he also wants to be able to catch football because he's a tight end. So he, he wants to be implemented in a game plan as well. So I have a theory about this. And I'll admit that there's a chance I'm just wrong about this because I said before, you know, you're a guy that caught passes for a living. I'm just a guy that watches this stuff on TV. But I have a theory that Darnell doesn't look open sometimes during a game because he's not going to run past people. And – and this is not on sets of minute. I think this would be true for any quarterback, that when you see a defender blanketed on Washington, I think it can be easy to think, oh, maybe I want to go somewhere else with the throw right here because there may be another player that's more capable of creating a little bit of daylight between himself and his defender, where Washington's ability is, I keep comparing it to basketball, he just posts you up and he just wins that battle with his sheer physicality, but maybe he doesn't look open during the play because he's not going to run past whoever might be covering him because that's just not really what his skill set is. He's a good athlete, but his athleticism sort of shows up in a little bit different way. Do you think there's anything to that, or am I you know, completely off base by suggesting that? Um, you're not off base, but there's a lot of times in, in, in plays there's where the ball just is not going. There's decoys, there's guys that just spot holders to take defenders away from other receivers coming into a certain spot. So just not looking at the the all twenty two or knowing the actual play call and not knowing where Stetson and Reeds take him, it's hard to just say. But he is a type of player that He's he's not open, but he's open. He's just so much bigger than everyone. You just look at the catches that he made in the Missouri game. I mean, you just give that guy opportunity. He can shield away defenders, and if the ball is not placed well, he can be turned to a defender himself and not turns into a turnover. We just have to put more emphasis on getting him the ball in spots that he's very comfortable over the middle. Uh, if we throw the ball through the middle, he's the guy that can control the middle of the football field uh when you have split safeties or one safety just give him an opportunity i just think he just needs more opportunity uh to showcase his skill set because we all believe that's why we're talking about he is a skill set that we need to use yeah i think that's really interesting and here's the other thing that kind of comes up sometimes too where it seems like we get different i guess phrasings on this sometimes depending on what kind of benefits in the moment like sometimes when you ask hey why isn't so-and-so getting the football more 
the answer is sort of this blanket idea of, oh, well, you just sort of have to take what the defense gives you. As in, there's no play ever called for any one player. You just have to have to take what the defense gives you. But what Kirby Smart said in the clip that we played before you joined us was, no, Smart saying about his team, we have called some plays down there for Darnell, and yet the coverage or the circumstances dictated going somewhere else. So I guess let me try to get in the weeds on this for a moment. Like, how often is a play called for a player? Once again, to use the basketball analogy, we've all seen the coach with the white, you know, the dry erase whiteboard on the sideline drawing up to play to get the ball to LeBron during a timeout. Like, how much does that happen in football where down at the nine-yard line you say, hey, we want this ball to go to Darnell, we want this ball to go to, uh, to, to Brock Bowers, we want this ball to go to Kenny McIntosh. How often in a football game is a team like Georgia drawing up a play for a dude? Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure because I believe in Todd Monk and the offensive staff that they're doing their due diligence during the week to understand and kind of pronosticate what type of defense that they're going to get. And with that being said, the only play in football that I can think of right now that uh, where the ball is going to go to him doesn't matter the coverage is a screen play. Yeah. It is going to go. So if, if there's a play call for Darnell and it's not the defense that the coaches – or assuming it's going to be, you just can't throw the ball because it's, it's just not there. We're just going to throw it to him because the play is called for him, and it's a turnover. Then we're going to still be killing stats and or whoever in the end of the day. Yeah. Oh, he he threw it to he threw it to our Darnell. That's where the ball's supposed to go, but it was an interception. Then we're going to be killing the quarterback. Sure. So you know, playing quarterback, you have to. I mean, it's an old cliche. If the wherever the dictate. The defense dictates that's where the ball should go. I've had plenty of plays called for me and the ball not come my way because the defense that we thought they would run in this certain part of the field, okay. they didn't. They did something. They they scout and they, they game plan as well. So I, I believe Kirby when he says that there's been plays called because he's a weapon and he should have those opportunities. Now, we just got to figure out ways to get him the ball, even if the dictate if the defense gives you another look, that the ball still can go there. Screen pass. He's, he's big. He's strong. Let's throw some screens to him inside the five-yard line. No, I think that's really interesting. I guess the final point for me on this is, and I think you and I have talked about this, even the post-game show on Saturday, that while I'd love to see Darnell get more touches, you know, in this same kind of conversation, the guy that I think – desperately needs more in this Georgia offense especially if it's kind of scuffling the way that it was on Saturday as a guy like Brock Bowers like I want to see Washington get more but I don't want that to come at the expense of the other tight end in a lot of ways I'd like to see both these tight ends more heavily involved in the offense but when you're not moving the chains Bowers is the guy that you just got to lean on and be able to get that done for you oh most definitely when you're the best player you're counting on to make those plays and nine times out of ten Brock is going to make those plays when given that opportunity so you know, with, with the guy that was the number one receiver when I played, you know, you expect to get a certain amount of targets, and coaches, players, teammates expect you to make those plays, and he's lived up to that building. So, you know, as the number one guy, hopefully A.D. Mitchell comes back to take some of that pressure off as well because he deserves a certain amount of opportunity because his talent dictates that. But Brock also should be, you know, he, he should be getting – not saying he should get the Cooper Cuff treatment when he gets certain 19 <laughs> passes going your way in a game. That's crazy. But he should be the focal point of the passing game. That just his, his skill set and his play dictates that. Taking me back to 2002 for a moment, you played in the Man Enough game when uh, former Auburn coach, Georgia graduate Pat Dye had – uh, you know, gone on, I guess, with the Fine Bomb show, early iteration of the Fine Bomb show, and 
said that Georgia wasn't man enough to beat Alabama. Now, in future years, he said that he did this to help Georgia, although it certainly wasn't you know treated that way at the time, and no one ever really knows what the uh, what the uh, truth was about that. Obviously, uh, Pat died no longer with us, but. Um, what was it like that week? Because it, it's not quite the same situation here this week, but there is the chance for bulletin board material. There's the chance for extra motivation. The Auburn player kind of popping off yesterday about his belief that Auburn could dominate Georgia on early downs, running the football. What do you remember about having you know somebody, you know, media obviously very different back then, but uh, about having somebody challenge your team's manhood before a game like that against Alabama? What do you remember about that? Oh, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. That's definitely something that was posted inside the butt smear. That was something that was spoke about uh, frequently throughout that whole week. So going into that game, it was definitely a shot uh, in our manhood that, that we we are not man enough to go into Brian Denton Stadium and win. Like, we're, we don't have good players. <laughs> we're not man enough. So it did take a shot, and it was a extra motivation to go in there and to prove everyone that that statement was wrong and that's what we did and so for georgia on this saturday i mean you know things are different now i i guess maybe they're not that you know that that much different how do you think georgia probably uses this if at all i mean we're coming towards the end of the week where you're kind of sort of ramping down with practice here a little bit but you know how much do you think that georgia will try to use this or maybe do you think that georgia kind of needs the opposite of that they need a little bit more I guess poison maturity and maybe not you know quite so fired up. Like like how much of a of a weapon do you think something like this could be you know for Georgia on Saturday? Oh, it's definitely going to be a weapon. <laughs> Most definitely, when uh, you know offensive line come out and, and just say, especially to a certain group uh, that we could dominate them and we just got to keep them out of their sub packages. That that Coach Scott is going to talk about that. <laughs> He's definitely going to mm-hmm. use this to get to his players and he's going to test your manhood and say that you're not man enough use that phrase again to to beat them one-on-one or to destroy their running game this player actually said he believes he's a better player he's a better man than you so it's definitely going to be used i mean that's why you you go and try not to say anything in the media uh time so this is motivation this something that's going to be talked about throughout the whole defense, especially. I'm sure Kirby and Company is going to use this uh, throughout the team meetings as well. It is uh, Terrence Edwards here at Marlowe's Tavern, insider update with him. Now, listen, you can't be our Georgia football insider. That's what Terrence Edwards is. But with Marlowe's Tavern, you can be an insider there. And listen, that's the next best thing because you get so many great features and benefits for doing that. And joining is just really, really easy. You can download the Marlowe's app to register. And when you do, as an incentive, it's like your own NIL deal in a lot of ways. You're going to get $10 off $30 uh, at Marlowe's Tavern just for signing up. And after that, here's how the Insider Club is going to work for you. You can dine at any Marlowe's Tavern, including the one right there in your neighborhood. When you spend at least $15 on food and beverage, that's going to earn what they call a qualified visit. Now, once you get four qualified visits, you'll receive a complimentary entree uh, reward up to $20 to be used on your next visit there as well. You can redeem those at any Marlowe's Tavern. You also get special offers on your birthday there as well. So it's a great time to become a Marlowe's Tavern Insider. Just download the Marlowe's Tavern app uh, to get started on that, and you'll enjoy great stuff. Uh, Terrence, I'm always uh, reminded of you know the, the the value that I think you and your career put on the Georgia Auburn game. This was a series really important to you. You've told great stories about you know like what John Stinchcomb did halftime of 2002, a game that propelled your team to the first ever SEC East 
you know division win in the in the history of the program when you when you think about Georgia getting ready to play a game like this on Saturday how much does this rivalry still matter to you and how much do you think and hope it matters to these Georgia fans who are in the stands players are on the field a chance to go out and once again participate in the deep south's oldest rivalry oh, I think it's, it's still a legitimate rivalry even though we we have dominated this rivalry uh, I know that both fan bases don't, don't really care about the records don't really care about what's going on you have to win this game this game is it's big just for the South, even though it's, it's you know it's the oldest rivalry in the South. Auburn has so many Georgia players on. I mean, it, it that is uh, someone that I say we have to beat. I think we will beat them, but you can't go in there and take Auburn lightly. I know they got a lot going on over there uh, with the coaches' rumors, coaches on the hot seat. But he's going to have his team ready to play, and everyone knows that this rivalry is the oldest in the South and. Uh, for Georgia, it it is a, another stepping stone to our goals. That's winning the SEC East, and this game this game matters uh, a lot to a lot of people. So I'll finish with this. Then you know, keeping in mind the fact that hey, we haven't seen Georgia play great the last couple of weeks. You know, they were on the road last week. You know, keep in mind, you know, kind of everything that's going on. What do you want to see from Georgia here this week in particular? What's you know a couple of things that you say, hey, this is the message that Georgia needed to send. This is a reminder that the 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 version of the dogs we saw beating up on Oregon and beating up on South Carolina, that was the real Georgia. What could Georgia do for you this week that would make you, I, I guess, feel that way again? I just want to go in and play a, a clean football game. I don't think we've played a clean football game. Uh, the last two weeks. That's offensively and defensively. I think special teams, uh, besides uh, last fumbles, have, have played uh, fairly well. The kicking game have, have been uh, outstanding. But just offense and defense, I just don't want to see kind of the bonehead mistakes, the drop passes. I know that's going to happen, but just the non-contested drop passes. I don't want to see on a, at a scramble drill uh, the DB just lose his man and would get a big play. Uh, just those little things. So play your keys. Uh, and just go and play your best football. It's not ever going to be perfect, but we just got to play more consistently uh, than we have the last two weeks. I tell you, Terrence, I love your insight into Georgia football. I appreciate you sharing that with us today as part of a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. Also looking forward to seeing you on Saturday at the Dog Nation uh, postgame show, a part of that there as well. You'll join us um, f- you know, for your commentary after the game there too. That's always a lot of fun. So, Terrence, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to seeing you on Saturday after the game. And even before I go, B, I know this is not Georgia Bulldog related, but I would like all the Bulldog Nation, because it is in our backyard, to send prayers up to Elijah DeWitt, yeah. the receiver from Jefferson County, that tragically lost his life uh, yesterday. Like, we all, you know, that that is that a sad young man. I don't know him personally, but I've watched his family from a far, very good football player. We just need to send prayers up to his family, condolences to his family, and just pray for these young men that's out in this world today. Terrence, I appreciate you saying that, and obviously I know how close this sport is to your heart. Young men who you know, play, especially that position that uh, DeWitt was uh, doing such a great job at the wide receiver spot. So, yeah, our state's hurting today uh, because of that. So I, I appreciate you t- saying that, Terrence. Thank you so much. All right, good stuff from Terrence. Let's hold off on the SEC through music because I was going to mention this before the show was done. And uh, Terrence uh, saying this, I think it's a good time to go ahead and mention it now. Uh, uh, yeah, Elijah DeWitt was a very, very good uh, wide receiver for uh, Jefferson, a guy that was having a, a tremendous year. And 
just an incredibly just incredibly sad story was was shot uh i guess it may have been two nights ago if, if i have the timeline correct on this i just became aware of this this morning i think it's only kind of just now becoming something that people are, are aware of and i may have the timeline on this slightly wrong and i think details on this are still uh, um, emerging the only thing we know is or at least that i currently know is where it happened it happened in the uh uh, if you're familiar with the Sugarloaf Mills area, it happened in the parking lot there. And there's going to be more news that comes about this. But this is a young man in, a, in the game that we had earlier this year between Oconee County and Jefferson. He had an amazing game. He was hey, having a very good season. He's a really good player. And I know that he'd already generated some college interest. There was even some some thought that he was you know, getting a look from an SEC team or two because of how he's performing here right now. So, this is as sad and tragic as it gets. I don't really have a lot in the way of details other than the fact that it has happened. And so uh, I'm just shaken by this this morning, just just so shaken by this, just because this is a guy we saw on TV, on Peachtree TV, uh, a few weeks ago. I know uh, Rusty Manziel, my partner there, has has talked about it a little bit on social media already. So this is this is tough, man. This this is really, really hard. And obviously, you know, Terrence loves the sport, loves the high school level. So this is incredibly sad. So I'm glad that Terrence brought that up. And, you know, it's never easy to, like, get back into the show after something like this. But, you know, we are obviously going to acknowledge what's happening uh, in, in real life there. So so truly, um, truly, truly, sincerely praying for everyone around uh, that Jefferson football program and everybody who knew Elijah here. This is uh, this is not, not an easy thing uh, at all. So our prayers there. And uh, I guess with that, we'll do our best to try to move on now with the uh, rest of the show. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Really fun to have Terrence Edwards talking Georgia football, and we always appreciate his insight in, in, into all of that. And, you know, I am really looking forward to the game between Georgia and Auburn on Saturday. I, um, I, I like rivalry games, and I do like the fact that rivalry games still really matter. And, you know... I think one of the things that if you don't travel a lot of the games, you don't have a full appreciation for just how close Auburn is to the University of Georgia, how close it is to like the Atlanta area where I live. You know, you can get a car, you can be at Jordan Air Stadium like an hour and a half. I mean, it's uh, it, it's almost as easy to drive to Auburn as it is to drive to Athens almost. I mean, and it's, it is that familiarity that's bred such an intensity in this rivalry because when Auburn's been at its best, it's had a lot of players from Georgia. And really one of the reasons why, you know, Auburn has – kind of regress as a program part of that is they don't quite have the same cachet in state that they used to and so you know that's where the history of this rivalry i mean obviously the history predates all of us deep south's oldest rivalry but when it's been intense in our lifetime that's why it's been intense georgians playing for auburn or in a lot of cases it's that sort of um you know like contested territory down that columbus area where georgia certainly won its fair share of players in that columbus area in recent years that used to be a auburn hotbed with del mcgee at georgia that's not been the case um and that just creates a great atmosphere around the rivalry game i don't care that georgia is a 30 point favorite uh i think it's going to be an intense scene on saturday because people still know this they still appreciate this they know how valuable all of that is and in a roundabout way i guess i'm sort of glad that brandon council the auburn offensive lineman has said what he said because anything that throws another log on this rivalry fire is certainly good for me now we'll get more around the rest of the sec here in a moment but before that, let me remind you 
as we go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, that this is the time right now to get your cruise, your cruise travel locked and loaded for the end of 2022, heading to early 2023. I'm double dipping. I got a cruise at the end of this year. I got one early next year. Uh, already talking about maybe another cruise to add to the list there for me over the course of the uh, you know next year and a half or so. But the big one comes up in April, April 24th and 28th. Just got a lot of uh, uh, details handed to me via email about my uh, cruise falling into place for that. And we want you to be a part of that, too. Our friend Jessica Slater is a travel agent specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean to book the second ever cruise with the Dog Nation. Royal Caribbean values its relationship with Dog Nation, so they want the very best travel agents helping folks get locked in and ready to go on this. We're leaving out of Port Canaveral on Independence of the Seas. We're going to Nassau on the Bahamas. We're going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, that beautiful private island oasis right there in the Bahamas. We want you with us for it. So Jessica Slater, you can call her 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. Or you can visit a website that she has made called royaldogs.com to get all the information you need. That's royaldogs.com for more on the Dog Nation cruise coming up this April that we want you to be a part of all right so let us now kind of dive in to our cruise around the sec with royal caribbean topics here and tomorrow we're going to get very heavy into official picks for all the big games a lot of those in the sec i'm not going to be able to be on go with the flow this week that was recorded yesterday i had to step away from work for just a little while so i won't be making i I have my picks but i don't really have my reasoning behind my picks i'm going to do a lot of that with y'all tomorrow during the show which i'm looking forward to being able to do but I wanted to spend a minute on a game that we're not picking officially tomorrow and would not rise to the level of being an official pick for me, but I am a little curious about this. So Missouri, fresh off playing better at home against Georgia than folks expected it to going on the road to Florida on Saturday. Now, here's one of the things I think we've learned about Missouri. I do think their defense is legitimately good. Like, you kind of wonder, what about the Georgia game was real? What about the Georgia game has any kind of staying power whatsoever? I think that Missouri, especially up front, is capable of doing some things defensively. They're going to give fits to almost anybody they're playing, whether it be Georgia, whether it be anybody else. I think that Missouri is going to be capable of generating some success defensively. But for a lot of Georgia fans who kind of wonder, okay, well, is the team that just played my team close, can they go out there and do even better against the Florida team that almost anyone would say, by comparisons, worse than Georgia is? I sort of don't quite expect that to happen. You know, we talked about uh, – you know, kind of the emotions of a season a little earlier. Think about what Missouri's been through these last couple of weeks. So they played really hard against Georgia, but ultimately they didn't win. And the week before that, they had their shot against Missouri, and the kicker that had been a hero against the Dogs sort of let them down that spot on the road against Auburn. And so all of a sudden now, this kind of stuff starts to add up here a little bit, where emotionally you kind of wonder what kind of state of mind they're going to be in being away from Faroe Field on Saturday, down there in Gainesville. So I think this becomes a little bit of a game to maybe see what Florida's all about here. And maybe a Missouri team that just has a hard time matching the emotion of last week. I think that Florida-Missouri is a, a, a little bit of a fascinating game. It's not one that I probably expect Missouri to play quite as well in as they did the last time. That's not an official pick for me on the side of Florida. But it's at least, I think, worth considering and the possibility that 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 maybe Missouri might find some of the uh, the emotional last two weeks catching up with them a little bit there as they head down to take on uh, Florida. Uh, speaking of another SEC game of note, also not one of the bigger games, but, you know, a game worth your attention there, too. What's going on with Will Levis, uh, the Kentucky quarterback, as South Carolina gets ready to come into Lexington? Matt Jones putting out there on Twitter, he says a lot of speculation online, but here's what's real. 
Will Levis is questionable for the game on Saturday. Matt obviously knows the Kentucky situation pretty closely. He says he has an injury different than the finger that isn't uh, long-term serious but could leave him out. He's going to be a game-time uh, decision uh, there. Now, you know that Levis had the weird thing where like, the finger got bent, and you saw that. It was kind of a grotesque video, you know, photo, but a lot of folks saw that. So Jones, who knows the situation around Kentucky, says that Will Levis is questionable here for the game against South Carolina. We did see Chris Rodriguez return at running back for uh, Kentucky last week, so maybe this is a game being at home that Kentucky can kind of lean on its running game uh, a bit here against South Carolina. I'm not nearly as impressed with Will Levis as somebody somewhere always seems to be. I'm never quite identifying who it is that's so into Will Levis, but I, you know, I, I don't know that the absence of Levis makes a huge deal for Kentucky playing at home against South Carolina. There's also that lingering curiosity about one of these road games that Georgia has to play, Kentucky being one of them, Mississippi State being another. We'll have more thoughts on the MSU hosting Arkansas tomorrow. But, you know, this is a chance for Kentucky, maybe without its starting quarterback, as uh, as Matt Jones suggests, to demonstrate what they're capable of doing at home against South Carolina team that we've seen already, including against Georgia, not look particularly great a, a couple of times this year. So, a little bit of interest there on uh, you know Kentucky for that. And then finally, I'll just finish with this because we've kind of gone a little long here. It is amazing how much criticism that Jimbo Fisher is starting to generate here. And going into the game against Alabama on Saturday, you know, you've seen you know, Paul Feinbaum talk about the possibility he could be fired sometime within the next year or two. You know, uh, you've seen Reese Davis kind of weighing in on, on a similar topic about you know the need to do better here. Just lots of different voices are kind of having their turn with you know what is going on with uh, with with Jimbo Fisher. That's one of the reasons why I think this Alabama game comes at the wrong time for him. I think Alabama is motivated for a couple of different reasons, even if they don't have their starting quarterback. And here's what the issue seems to be stemming from with with, with Jimbo. In a lot of ways, it kind of reminds me of kind of the end of the Gus Malzahn era at Auburn, where eventually folks decided, okay, well, if you're going to be the coach, you just can't have your offense anymore. Well, at that point, Malzahn had never really proven himself to be a CEO-style head coach. His reason for being hired as coach at Auburn in the first place was because he'd been the team that had won the national championship in 2010. He'd been the offensive coordinator, that you hired him for his offensive system. And if you don't want the offensive system of Gus Malzahn, well, do you really want Gus Malzahn? And eventually Auburn folks decided, no, the answer is no, we don't. It's a similar thing with Jimbo Fisher here. The A&M offense, the thing that he brought, is really what's failing them right now. And listen, I say this as a guy that's really supported Jimbo, that believed he was a better coach, that thought he got kind of a raw deal at Florida State. And a lot of what I have been saying has the appearance of eventually being proven wrong. And if that's the case, I'll take the L. I got no problem uh, you know, taking my medicine when I when I get something wrong. In the case of Jimbo Fisher, I may eventually really get this wrong, and I'll be more than happy to to wear the L when I do. But let's talk for a moment about why it appears to be wrong right now. And some of this just seems to be related to the kind of offense that Jimbo wants to run. They play as slow as anybody. They're generating no offense whatsoever. That if Jimbo stays on, that he may have to bring somebody else in to run a different kind of offense. Well, at that point, you're kind of divorcing Jimbo from the reason that you hired him. And so do you still want him as your head coach if you no longer want Jimbo Fisher's offense? It's going to be really fascinating here over the course of the next few weeks to see just how much of this Jimbo can hold together because if you want to go back to a few months ago, it looked like they were really building something up. They had gotten the number one recruiting class. And in the playoff era, no program that's produced a number one recruiting class has failed to eventually win 
a national championship. And so a lot of folks assume that must be the trajectory that A&M's eventually on there as well, even if they haven't won many games you know, on the field. That must be the trajectory that they're on. All of a sudden now, all of that's really called into question, and you're left to wonder what is next for a program that's really struggling. Well, whatever next is probably begins after the Alabama game because I haven't heard anybody yet that has liked A&M's chance of keeping this really close at all. It is a one-way street on the side of the Crimson Tide for Saturday, and we'll have more on that tomorrow. But as for now, tough times for Jimbo getting a lot of criticism. We'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And one of the things you've heard me talk about is how much I value the Georgia-Auburn rivalry. I love celebrating this. I like the history and tradition of college football, and when it comes to our version of college football, Georgia-Auburn is as big a part of that as anything. And one of the new traditions that's been kind of added to this in recent years, which I think is really fun, is in concert with what the UGA Alumni Association does, kind of creating a, a competition with the folks over at Auburn, their alumni association there as well. They call it Beat Week, and it's a chance for each of these two uh, alumni associations to try to beat out the other in terms of generating donations uh, during this particular week, heading to the Auburn game there on Saturday. So this is what I think is uh, a great thing. So Georgia's going for its third consecutive win. They've won in each of the last two years, can win that again. Uh, by getting your donations in before Saturday and getting involved and being a uh, big part of this. So when you donate, you get Georgia a step closer to beating Auburn again. You beat them on the field on Saturday. You beat them when it comes to the donations to the university there as well. And, of course, you already know the great stuff, that money you donate to the UGA Alumni Association, what it does. Not only does it create a great organization that connects dogs together no matter where they may live in our country, in our world, wherever else, but it also goes to support uh, the university that we all love, the university that ed- educated you, the university that's providing research that's potentially changing the lives for the better of thousands, if not millions of people across our state, our country, and our world, that UGA increasingly is becoming kind of a, a real beacon that everybody kind of looks to as a leader at the forefront of the, the best kind of change in our country and in our world. And you can support that yourself by getting involved with the UGA Alumni Association. And this week, you can kind of beat Auburn in the process, which is all a really good thing. So donate today to the UGA Alumni Association, uh, and you can be a part of that. So make sure you check that out. And we're, of course, glad to have our friends in the UGA Alumni Association with us here on Dog Nation Daily today. All right, so uh, we'll get ready to wrap things up with the uh, golden shoe here. Uh, talk about a great-looking graphic. This is a uh, golden shoe selected just for co- how nice the graphic is. One of the things I always love is is the what's that coming down the track. And I'm a big believer that it is what's that coming down the track and not who's that coming down the track. Uh, although, in this case, uh, Houston Evans goes the other way, but we're going to count that nonetheless because it's a beautiful graphic. But I'm a big believer it's what's that coming down the track, not who's that coming down the track. But anyway, I just love that whole deal. And Houston Evans creates this. It's the glory train. It says who's that coming down the track. You got the train, you got the Georgia D in the front. You got Uga standing on top there on that. It's an incredible graphic by Houston Evans. Really well done. And uh, certainly a great thing to uh, kind of give out when it comes to a golden shoe here today. How about our Gator Hater Updater there as well? More than 5,000 days since those lousy, stinking Gators have won a national championship. We bask in the glory of their ineptitude around here. And we also believe that 23 days from right now, dogs back in jacksonville beating up on florida again cannot wait for that but first there is rivalry action to take care of this saturday against auburn so we got time to think about two things at once so we'll think about auburn this saturday in florida coming up 23 days from right now we'll see you tomorrow here on dog nation daily presented by merriweather and tharp and on the podcast time for the rs andrews podcast cool down i'm going to admit something here 
I can't remember if I've read this tweet or not as a part of the cool down. I know we didn't have a cool down yesterday because I had to leave work early. But I wanted to bring this up because it creates kind of an interesting conversation. So let me walk through the entire process of this because I think it's really interesting. So Phil Steele tweeted earlier this week, you know, Phil Steele from the Phil Steele magazine. And his message on Twitter this week is that last year, Georgia was a 15-point favorite against Auburn, which was the most Georgia had ever been favored in the history of the series, which dates back since lines have been tracked all the way back in 1976. This year, they're nearly double that, you know, somewhere around 29, 30-point favorite, depending on where you see the line right now. And so I kind of joked on Twitter that Brian Harson, just an example of him making history at Auburn, that's just kind of my, my joke. But on a serious point, uh, 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 Jacoby writes in to say, do you think that the Vegas lines are affecting the fan expectations for Georgia? And this is the tweet I can't remember if I mentioned or not. But I think it's an interesting question. He says, do you think that UGA not covering uh, that skews how fans look at victories and how much joy they derive from simply getting SEC wins versus actually covering the spread? And... You know, my overall point on this would be that I think that the spread only gives us kind of a quantifiable example of something we probably already would have believed to be true, that Georgia's supposed to beat Missouri bad. If we didn't have the, the, the point spread at our disposal, we would have known this was a Missouri team that got beat bad by Kansas State, for instance, and that would be an indication that's not quite the same level of Georgia. So I do think that the spread conversation is far more prominent in college football than it used to be. People are just more generally aware of how teams are performing relative to the expectations that were set for the game. And I can understand why some people might think, well, that's actually clouding the judgment of um, of the way in which some Georgia fans are pursu- uh, sort, of, sort of viewing the season here thus far, for the good and the bad, by the way. And I understand why that's being asked, but in this particular case, I'm not quite so sure I agree with that. However, Charles Winslet also writes in to say, those big spreads like Auburn on Saturday being a 30-point underdog, all that's good for is firing up our opponents. This is a slap in the face to a team with pride, especially last week when SEC home team Missouri was 28-30 point home dog. Just serves to help their coaches motivate their players. I guess I honestly think though that we sometimes put too much in the I guess sort of silo of who's motivated, whether it be Georgia's not motivated because they're being praised or somebody else is being motivated because they're not being praised. And we obviously talked about, you know, the idea of extra motivation because what the Auburn player said on this show. But understand this, that if you think about that from a degree of difference standpoint, I'm talking about a couple of percentage points that Georgia might be aided by an Auburn player saying what he said. And, you know, by a couple of percentage points, is Missouri a little more motivated because They've been told they have no chance of winning the game at home. Maybe that's the case. But ultimately, I think that the number one and maybe even number two, number three, number four, things that are deciding these games on Saturdays, I don't think the three or four most important things in that game is the level of motivation. That if I'm really motivated to compete, but my competitor is just superior to me in every way, my level of motivation is not going to matter all that much. And so I think that's also true in a game like Georgia-Missouri, that you know, for all the things that may have went wrong for Georgia, you know, Missouri potentially being more motivated because they were told they had no shot in the game, that's not necessarily what I would rank among the three or four most likely reasons why that happened. But I do think it's an interesting conversation, and it's why I love interacting with dog fans and sharing some of those interactions with you here as a part of our podcast, Cooldown. So thanks for being with us. 
Big thanks to our friends at R.S. Andrews for making it all possible. You can find them online, rsandrews.com. Heating systems. I'm wearing a little bit of a pullover-type sweater today, which means we're in that kind of fall time of year. And, of course, that means pretty soon heating systems going to be working overdrive because it'll get cold eventually. And when it does, you want your heating system ready for that. Somebody may have told you you need a new furnace, but R.S. Andrews might be able to tell you how you can get new life out of your old furnace. Get another season out of that thing. Get it tuned back up to factory fresh specs. It'll only cost you $99. You can find them online, rsandrews.com, for more on that. We'll see you tomorrow right back here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Merriweather and Tharp.